Red Business with Ibeck, building a sustainable competitive future in Cork business. Hi there and thanks for joining us. Hope you had a lovely break over St. Patrick's Day. We crack on. Later we will be speaking to a business that supports those on shift work in getting the balance right. We'll also be talking to the Cork Opera House about a new bursary they've put in place for an artist with autism. But there's lots to discuss in the business world at the moment and every conversation is dominated by one thing, the issue of war in Ukraine. And many people across Cork are doing what they can to help those caught up in the horrific invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Our next guest has a very personal connection to the story and a unique way to assist people who need help from international sources. He's been on the podcast before. Alex Chernenko, CEO of Translate. You're welcome back to Red Business, Alex. Jonathan, thank you for having me again. Um, Look, you're originally from Ukraine, so therefore this is something that impacts you in a very personal way. Absolutely. I'm originally from Ukraine, moved to Ireland 18 years ago, but I still have family, friends, and even some of our staff uh, who are essentially suffering at the moment as a result of the war that's happening right now. And and your family, and you were born in Odessa, which is a part of the country that features regularly in the news headlines. And what has the support been like from Irish people, from the Irish business community towards you, knowing that you're from Ukraine? Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I I would like to thank to absolutely everyone out there. The level of support has been really extraordinary and unprecedented. I mean, I've been receiving calls from people who I haven't heard in years, and they, you know, showed their 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 respect. They they asked how we are all feeling. They offered help. Uh, I mean, even some of our clients offered to send money directly to our freelancers and translators back in Ukraine. So, you know, the level of support from uh, from from this country, from, from, from friends, family, colleagues and clients has been really uh, unprecedented and we're, we're extremely grateful for that. Your, your business is translation and, and helping businesses to translate things, but there is a, an extra importance to what you guys do, particularly with so many people due to come from your home country to your new home country, if I can put it that way, from people travelling from Ukraine to Ireland who may not have English, who may not understand everything that is going on around them. Um, how are you helping those refugees? So we, we realize that there is a number of government supports and initiatives that are still being discussed and decided on. And we already see people arriving. Every day we see hundreds and hundreds of people arriving. And I, I, I'm walking on the streets now and uh, we are seeing people, you know, like a, a groups of four, six, and I, I spoke with somebody today that there is a, ne- a group of 40 people coming next week to Cork and they're asking me to be speaking at that event. So while the government is, is kind of welcoming people in the airport or thinking about the accommodation, we need to help people who already arrived. They don't speak English. They have their personal documents that need to be translated. And this is what we decided to do as a company, as a business, that until the government supports everything as a place. We want to help individuals directly with the with the uh, value that's needed to them right now. And whether it's personal documents or help to communicate, we are putting our resources to actually help the individuals and the organizations who are welcoming uh, refugees from my home country, Ukraine, to get you know the basic communication, uh, their qualifications set up, the immigration papers. That's that's the stuff we are dealing. Uh, with right now and the amount of inquiries we received in the last three days has been phenomenal I mean our staff is is working overtime we're we're doing our best to help everyone and we are offering 
uh, free services to the people who can we, we can afford to, or just a very subsidized uh, small fee to cover the basic expenses. That's our way to to support the, the people who are coming here. You've worked really hard, Alex, in your business to develop technology that can help. Um, how is that technology being used? Yeah, so at the moment, uh, we have uh, the technology that we use essentially to help the, the, the remote interpretation piece. So whether it, it's a spoken, it's nothing to do with translation, it's a spoken interpreter that is delivered remotely uh, over the internet. And that technology is currently used by two government bodies in Ireland, and we are planning to extend it further to other government bodies and essentially offer the same technology to be used uh, internationally when there is a conference or a meeting or a forum that requires language support. It's it's mainly targeting more to, to conferences and online events as opposed to, you know, one-on-one uh, individual use. There's people you've spoken to, Alex, and you might see them on the street today. There's more coming next week. How are they when they get here? I mean, it must be, it must be very disconcerting. They're travelling to a place they might not have heard of before. Uh, you know, if a lot of Irish people ended up in Ukraine, we we unfortunately know the names of all your cities now, but it's not for the reason that, that we should know the names of your cities. How worrying is it for those people coming the other way and ending up in a city like Cork? We see... We see two groups of people. Uh, on one side, th- there are people who suffered a lot and they've seen uh, consequences of the war with their own eyes. And it's, it's really hurting emotionally, uh, mentally to children, to people. And those people are in, in fear. They, they already have psychological traumas. So they need, uh, you know, help beyond just the language. They need also mental support. So this is one group. And then there's another group that were lucky to escape before the things escalated. So they haven't seen war in, in its wars. Uh, and they are more lucky because, you know, they, they feel more relaxed, more comfortable, but they still need, you know, help from the immigration point of view. So we see now these two groups of people, those who've seen bad things with their own, horrific things with their own eyes and they and they need uh, much more support than just languages there are many people who are opening their doors as well alex it hasn't really kicked off yet but i i suspect and i fear that uh, welcoming people into their homes is something that a lot more irish people are going to do over the next while there are very few native ukrainian speakers in those homes what advice do you give to those people to try and break that most difficult communication barrier, particularly where someone may be traumatized or someone who's very upset and you, you, you can do nothing to comfort them in a way that they understand. How should people manage that? It's uh, you know, to to help somebody who've seen horrific things. It's, it's actually almost impossible for, for, for uh, a person to be, helping them uh, in that way. But being supportive, being understanding, and possibly even referring and using the likes of Mental Health Commission. You know, there, there, there are many organizations out there who are helping vulnerable people, who are helping people uh, who've been suffering or exposed to violence. There, there's already a, a lot of volunteer work happening. So individuals who are welcoming uh, Ukrainian refugees who've suffered, I would recommend them referring to those organizations because there is a, a level of funding available, there, 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 there are resources, and, and most importantly, they know how to help people who've suffered. So if somebody takes a family and they and they know that the family went through difficult times, just actually you know, getting 
getting somebody from from those organizations involved would be uh, my my first recommendation and and how prevalent is the english language amongst the ukrainian population you're you're an expert you you've managed uh, to speak english better than i do um but how how regular would people speak english in ukraine is it is it going to be a huge challenge for those who who take in refugees in their homes yeah, the, the younger generation would would have a good level of English, and at the moment we see more than fifty percent of the refugees would need language support. So it's more than half. You know, the younger people they they would be in a, in a better position, but the the children, the young children, and the elderly they would not have any English whatsoever. So uh, there is a, a you know a pressure on the language services in in Ireland to 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 be helping those. Uh, refugees, essentially. So yes, there will be a, a higher level of, of language demand. But it's not just Ukrainian. Many Ukrainians speak Russian language, and it's also some of their first language. So uh, the, the Ukrainian-Russian, that, that's what's at the moment is in demand. Okay, well, Translate is the name of the company that's doing incredible work to help those who are coming into our country at a time uh, that will long be remembered in history. Uh, Alex, uh, no doubt your efforts will be remembered as well. Alex Chernenko, CEO of Translation Firm Translate. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast again and the best of luck to you and all of your team as, as you carry out that very important work in the next few weeks. Thank you, Jonathan. And, and huge thanks to all the listeners who are contributing and helping. The amount of support is is really phenomenal and let's 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 keep it up together. Red Business with IBEC, building a sustainable, competitive future for Cork business. We're slowly building up our social lives again. Well, what happens to be a social life in my case, but for the rest of you, you seem to be quite active. And we are spoiled for choice when it comes to venues in Cork. One of the most special, of course, is the Cork Opera House, which has been offering acts diverse as Tori Amos and Darrow Breen and the Blind Boy podcast live this month alone. CEO of the Cork Opera House is Eileen Gleeson, who is a regular on the podcast. Eileen, it is so lovely to be talking to you when the lights are on and the theatre is full and you guys are absolutely knocking out out of the park in the way that you only can. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's just a delight to have the lights on in the Opera House again. It's an absolutely joyous thing. And we are so happy to see people come through our doors with smiles on their faces and knowing that, you know, that we're back open, knowing that they're going to have a quality experience on the stage. You know, the saddest, we've been through the saddest thing and the most difficult thing as a society. And now we have to recover. And I see our job as part of that, you know, part of our job now in society is to make sure that people can kind of reflect on the last couple of years and kind of come out of it kind of with a new kind of perspective and we will help with that by giving them like quality artistic and and entertainment experiences. Mm. I mean for, for me it was the stop start nature of it was was a disaster because what had happened is you guys open and then the rules would change like the panto being a classic example of it uh, where you had to try and make stuff up on the fly as to how many people you can get in and reschedule and move people from A to B and disappoint others. I mean there was no business that could be sustainable in that environment. Yeah, it was absolutely like horrendous, I have to say now, Jonathan, looking back at Christmas and Panto, like we'd sold out pre, uh, pre-Christmas, like we put our Panto on sale in September and it sold way out. And then we got the news that we had to move to 50% capacity. Now we had a sold out audience. So what we had to do was like double the amount of shows, which is like no, like it's no small ask of, of a company to do that, you know, and then make sure that none of them got COVID over the course of the run, which was really hard. But we were very lucky in that, you know, we were actually the only Panto that managed to 
stay going like for the full run in the country. I mean, we were really, really strict about the COVID guidelines at the time. But, you know, we got there. And I think that what it said to me was that people wanted to come, like regardless of restrictions and regardless of risks, people were willing at that point to come out again. And it gave me great hope for when we did open our doors Mm. and, and we were back to full capacity that we would continue to be successful and that we would be able to kind of financially recover from this really, really hard time. The nature of what you guys do, it's it's not like somebody decides on a Thursday that they're going to have a show on the Friday. Um, uh, so uh, you need lead-in time. You need people to commit to having shows. So you, you've lost a bit of ground there where planning would be done. So I'm presuming you'd probably fill out the Opera House a few more nights had people had the confidence to book shows back in January or back as far as September. Well, you know what? It's amazing. We've we've been in this holding pattern of the shows that were supposed to happen in 2020 and, and new shows kind of coming into the market. So we've been in this holding pattern of like scheduling the Opera House for six months and then like taking that six months and moving it in like month by month in a kind of a rolling pattern until we were kind of certain that we were going to open. And we kind of decided last summer that we were going to open in October last year, regardless, like we were, you know, that was the plan. And it just so happened that that's how it worked out. So we spent the whole time during lockdown planning to open and we worked with our promoters to make sure that they kind of worked with us as the kind of dates rolled along. Because, you know, I mean, they weren't planning to be anywhere else anyway because everything was closed, you know. So I think like the big key, I suppose the big key part of the success in being able to open the doors was to have a really, really close relationship with the people who are putting stuff on the stage, like with the promoters, with the artists, with the, you know, with our own shows for Panto. We were ready like we had to be ready we knew we had to be ready and we were ready and as a result of that then you know a lot of the shows that we had rescheduled are now happening and we have another a number of new shows um that have kind of come on stream over the course of the pandemic like people who maybe for example made it big on a podcast are now doing live shows you know there's lots of new entrants into the market too which is really exciting and i think that you know the the industry is now going to have like a really big resurgence i think that there is a real willingness now to get behind artists there's a real willingness mm. to get behind entertainment and to get out of the house as well you know so it's kind of like the perfect storm right now um, a good storm I'm, though we, we, we had good, a perfect storm of badness storm. this is a perfect storm of goodness which is good exactly. I, you obviously you had to support as many colleagues as you could uh, but I know your staff count fell are you working back towards having as many bodies in the building as you used to have um, I think that that's kind of complex. It's a complex thing because, like, we're 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 st- we still haven't really fully seen the impact on us yet. So we're c- kind of holding we're holding tough at the moment, you know, and we're just kind of keeping it tight because, like, you know, the most important thing is our survival, Jonathan. You know, so I think for right now, maybe for the next kind of four to six months, it'll be a case of just kind of seeing where we are and seeing how see how seeing how the numbers fall in this financial year. Um, definitely, like we'll need to up capacity in our you know in our areas where like we have you know large like two hundred thousand people coming through the doors annually. Like we'll need to make sure that we have like really good front of house staff and that we've really good technical team in place. So like we'll be building capacity all of the time. But in terms of like our, I suppose our kind of 
core management team were, were planning on keeping that kind of lean mm. for the time being. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, to give you the numbers, and I know this, this, this these are things that will still traumatise you when you say them out loud, but your revenues collapsed by about 7 million in a single year. Um, and, yeah. and, and that's absolutely incredible. I, the fact that the lights are on at all is a testament to the supports, I suppose, you got from government, but also the ability of, of the artistic community, of, of, of the entire sector to, to be resilient in the face of, of something so terrible. Yeah, I mean, that's a shocking, shocking figure. Like, there's no question about that. But, you know, we, we knew we, we saw it happening in front of our eyes, like, you know, and we planned to get out of it. And we had some really good support from, from the Arts Council and from the Department of Arts, which I, without that, you know, we'd be having a different conversation now. Um, so that was really fundamentally important in us kind of having the confidence to come out of this and being sure that we could come out of this, you mm. know. And as well as that, like, we had a good panto under our belt, which, as you know, is the backbone of every venue I, no, see, I'm, every I, year I, I, we'll I, have a good panto on your I'm building up to my question right my question is what about the summer spectacular because you guys were bringing fantastic shows to the stage is there going to be a summer spectacular this year or are you still too too nervous to say it out loud I think that like from a from a summer spectacular point of view we will be programmed to the max this summer there's no doubt about that and we have a couple of really exciting things coming that we will announce over the next couple of months there's not going to be a summer show like a big musical theatre until 2023 and that's you're telling me all those dancing time. lessons that I did went to waste I'm disgusted <laughs> and you were going to be right front and centre there totally you know? <laughs> we just need a little bit of time to build up our capacity as a producing house again you know like because because like a lot of the team have fallen away over the course of the pandemic you know and these are major major productions that we undertake we just need a little bit of time to get back on back on back up to speed with everything but yeah. like come the summer of 23 it'll be full on you know i have no doubt that the opera house will be back to back to producing at the capacity we were pre-pandemic well i'm really looking forward to seeing a lot of those shows coming through thick and fast the, the rescheduled ones the new ones the artists we didn't know about two years ago but that'll pack out the cork opera house what a chapter in its history to have been in charge for but uh, corkoperahouse.ie if you want to have a look and see if any of the shows that are coming up are to your fancy one quick thing before we go you have a bursary that you've just launched Eileen uh, for an artist in residence tell us a little bit about that yeah, so this is a, a joint initiative with with UCC that we have come together to put a bursary of €20,000 in place for an, an artist in residence. And for this year, we've decided to make the opportunity available for an autistic artist or somebody who identifies as, as a person with autism. And the idea here is that we are creating a space for a neurodivergent artist to create and in a way that we can really learn what neurodiversity is about and how we can facilitate neurodiverse artists and as well as that to give you know to give an autistic artist kind of a a chance to jump the queue you know because it's it's really really hard when you're um, a neurodiverse person to try and operate in a kind of a neurotypical world you know so to speak so I suppose we just wanted to create the space for future artists future autistic artists to, to have the right I suppose supports to, okay. to develop their capacity you know and it's a brilliant so, idea and I wish everybody the best luck because the whole point of the theatre the whole point of the arts is to be as inclusive to everybody as you can be and this is a great way of doing it if people want to find out more Eileen is, is, is it the Opera House website they need to visit yeah, there is information on the website, Jonathan, and, and we'd be happy if, if anyone wants to get in touch, we'd be happy to answer any questions that I, anybody has. Eileen Gleeson, CEO of the Cork Opera House. I'm holding out for that big summer spectacular in 2023. I'll keep the dancing lesson going, Eileen, all right? Good man, Jonathan.
Thank you so much. Sir. Get the Red Business Podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts. Red Business with IBEC, building a sustainable, competitive future for Cork business. Now, if you've ever experienced shift working like I have done during my career, you'll be familiar with the very real and significant impact it has on your entire lifestyle. As an occupational psychologist with decades of experience in organisations that have lots of people working shifts, Angela Collin has seen the unique challenges that they face. And she's with us now to discuss a range of health supplements she's helped design uh, with shift and healthcare workers in mind. Angela, how are you? Very good. Great to speak to you, Jonathan. Oh, I could have done with you, Angela, when I was doing early shifts on radio and you're getting out of the bed <laughs> at half past four in the morning and you're fit for nothing uh, after about two o'clock in the afternoon. Where were you when I needed you, Angela? Never too late for health. <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about BioThrive, because that's the company we're talking about. Yeah. Um, BioThrive, I suppose, emerged in 2018, but it kind of goes back, its story goes back um, quite a few years prior to that and is very much rooted, as you say, in an understanding of shift workers. Um, a lot of the work I would do is to support, I suppose, pharmaceuticals, medical instrumentation industries. And I would work globally with those organisations in terms of commissioning new sites and supporting existing sites. And, you know, as the shift workers, both from somebody who's new, who hasn't done it before, and even people who are very seasoned, as you know, work out a plan themselves to be able to cope with the demands. Um, I heard an awful lot of issues arrive for them, which really came back to maybe a small bit in terms of exploring and educating around, uh, I suppose, one's biology in terms of how one's body works and how you can not work against it, but with it to stay healthy. And then it became very evident that when you go out and ask for um, health advice or a health supplement, um, you get the, the general nine to five worker type um, approach where somebody will offer you, yes, a very good solution, but one that probably doesn't meet all the needs that a shift worker has. So Biotribe really emerged from taking the, the problems that do emerge for shift workers, um, particularly in around sleep and health and, you know, particular things we see develop over time for shift workers and working back from that, really putting in place some innovative solutions okay. and a range of products that, you know, are that are easy to use. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a minute. But there's different types of shift work then, because when I did it, I would do five days a week. I'd have to be in the office at five o'clock in the morning and finish my shift at half past 12 and I'd walk out the door. And that's great for me because at least you could have a routine of some kind. But then there are other people, I'm thinking guards, I'm thinking nurses who do nights and then might switch to days the following week and then back to nights at the end of the month. Factory workers uh, have this a lot as well. I mean, it's very hard to get a routine into your system uh, and to kind of make sure that your body can be in tune with itself when you're keep disrupting its sleep pattern. Yeah, absolutely. And what I would say when you start looking at those um, patterns, those shift patterns, um, you know, you very much need a plan. You need three plans quite often for those who rotate shift patterns um, so for those who have static shift patterns that stay the same, I suppose it, it's I won't say it's easy, but it, it's a bit easier to put in place a plan um, because it's stable. But a lot of people who work three and four cycle shifts that rotate, they're very, very demanding. And, you know, you have a plan for working days, you have a plan for working nights and then the transitioning from days to nights and from working nights to off, etc. Yeah. So it's it's not easy. 
Uh, and I suppose the main thing is that you're working against your circadian rhythm, your natural rhythm in your body. Um, also, seasonally, your access to very good light. Um, we've seen a huge understanding, I suppose, in the last few years in terms of the health benefits and also the impact of blue light from devices, etc., on our, our health and our sleep. Um, but Jonathan, I, the one thing I'd be very conscious of as well is that what's emerging within younger populations who aren't classified as shift workers, um, you know, mothers with young families, people who uh, work extended days, or we're seeing a lot of um, health kind of matters arise there too. And in young kids, in kids who are accessing devices, working, I suppose, uh, work for them, I suppose, is homework, etc. But doing a lot of activities and, yeah. and that. So we're seeing kind of shift work patterns in well, yeah, you know, they, they, they mightn't think they're putting in a shift, but they're putting in a shift because the, the, their circadian rhythm, rhythm isn't allowed to get up to speed. What You might explain the phrase nutraceutical to me. I know what a pharmaceutical is. What's a nutraceutical? Oh, yes, yes. No, I'm glad you've asked that because people automatically, you know, think pharmaceutical and uh, nutraceuticals are very much any substance that have a health derivative, you know, a health benefit. And in, you can globally, when you look at them, uh, you know, it's really about producing consumable foods and substances that can give you health benefit. And if you look in your fridge right now, I'm sure you can see certain products that have cholesterol lowering kind of aspects to them. They're branded as having probiotics in them. So, you know, in some senses, they're kind of in that nutraceutical space. So they are um, foods that have added natural hopefully aspects to them that facilitate one's health um we would very much um i suppose align to a more rigorous um approach to nutraceuticals so it's an unregulated um industry internationally um so we would very much produce within an fda regulated which is something people would associate with the pharmaceutical industry good manufacturing practice and it's very much regulated um so so what, 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 break it down to me. What, what am I taking? If you, if you're, if I'm coming to you and I'm a shift worker and I'm saying, please, 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 give me something because I need to feel normal or I need to make sure that I sleep when I need to sleep. Angela, what should I take? Yeah. So there are a number of things you can, and there are a range of products there. One where you might work out that there's something about somebody's diet that's not giving them the nutrients that are required for their health and this is all about a chemical dance in one's body one would say um so what might work for you is because of maybe you're lacking from your diet of key nutrients that will help you regulate your body stay healthy feel energy um, being able to sleep it might be a supplement so there is a shift worker total health supplement that's designed specifically for shift workers and then there's a more general kind of population kind of total health within that is all natural ingredients so it it combines you know vitamins minerals things we'd be already familiar with but plant extracts live cultures probiotic kind of live cultures um omega oils etc and I suppose you're getting it in the kind of one supplement. But if you were coming to me, Jonathan, and you were saying, and, and this is something I've dealt with even over the last week, um, a shift worker saying, um, I fall asleep on my way home at the wheel. Yeah. I pull in and I have to sleep for an hour to continue my journey. It's an alertness thing. So no matter what you give somebody in their diet, that doesn't solve that issue. 
So there's an alert essential oil and the, the benefit, if anybody knows anything about essential oils, is that they cross the blood brain barrier quite quickly. And that will give you a boost of alertness. And we had a very good example over the last week of somebody who was in that category. And, you know, they've emailed to say that, you know, for the first time in ages, they've got home safely, which is fantastic. It's it's brilliant to hear. Angela, how can people find out more about BioThrive? What's the website? Yeah, so you can go onto the website. So it is um, www.bio-thrive.com. Um, and you will find us there. So it's Optimised Nutrition. Okay, yeah. uh, Angela Collin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Okay, thank you, Jonathan. Great. Uh, that is it from this particular episode of Red Business. Don't forget you can download every episode from redfm.ie and that's where you can find our new sister video series, Red Business in Focus, with thanks to Cork Local Enterprise Offices as well. Kira McDonough was the producer and we will catch you on the next one. Get the Red Business Podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts. Red Business with IBEC, building a sustainable, competitive future for Cork business.